Hello and welcome to Passionate the Podcast. I am Emma Woods and today on the podcast we are going to take a little detour talking about a passionate topic to discuss a topic that globally we are all, well, I guess obsessed with, COVID-19. We're so lucky in Australia that for most of us, we haven't contracted COVID-19 and we don't know anybody that has. So when my friend Megan DeVette, who lives in South Africa, contracted COVID-19 and then gave it to her partner who was diabetic, so has an underlying health condition, hearing what the experience was like for them was something I wanted to share on my podcast. I met Megan as a 17-year-old GAP student where we were both placed in a primary school in a little village called Ramby in the middle of England, where for the next year we proceeded to work, travel, make friends and start our journey to become adults. We both became lawyers, although Megan is now a barrister. Megan lives in Cape Town, South Africa and loves hiking, bike riding and the occasional glass of wine. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Emma. Yeah, it's a pleasure to to do this with you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your experiences over there. And I think I want to start really with you know, over COVID, we've actually caught up and, and messaged and FaceTimed actually quite a bit, especially in lockdown when it first started, didn't we? We mm. we got to kind of catch up and see what was going on across this other side of the world when for a lot of the time in Australia, we've been in a bit of a COVID news bubble. So I guess, you know, is that the same in South Africa for you? Are you, have you heard anything about Australia in the past 18 months? I have not heard mm. anything about Australia, but like you said, I think Australia is this little safe bubble that a lot of people aspire to go and live at if they can get there. And as for the rest of us, we carrying on in, I think the real world is probably the wrong word to use, but we're carrying on with our own grind. Mm. If there's something come out of COVID, um, I think the world has definitely become a smaller place with regards to communication. Mm. You be a bit more interested in the people around the world and because I think the world for a couple of months just had to slow down everybody took the time to breathe and say wow let me find out how Emma is doing in Australia because suddenly Mm. our world is faced by one problem Mm. it's not countries facing multiple different problems everybody is stuck with the same problem at the same time some common ground to chat about and um you know sort of compare notes what's your what's your lockdown like how's our lockdown going how's the wine Uh, supply most important question uh so at the moment there's a steady wine supply from monday to friday when the original, our first lockdown started, we went into a very hard lockdown, which was only supposed to last for three weeks. We had a curfew at eight o'clock at night. Everybody had to be in their house and we weren't allowed to move until I think it was five or six o'clock the next day. And there was a complete liquor ban. <gasps> you could buy alcohol anywhere and surprisingly cigarettes. Cigarettes were... Mm. So also banned. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, everybody that had been bragging about wanting to quit did not take the time to quit. They they elicited it somewhat illegally and paid probably about five or ten times more than what they would normally (laughs) with um, the excuse that they will quit in their own time. They're not quitting (laughs) because of COVID. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, and depending on what our lockdown levels are, depends on whether whether there's alcohol available or not. Um, the main reason for it is is to alleviate the hospitals a bit because when there is alcohol available, they, the trauma units are, are sort of overwhelmed. And so the reason for the al alcohol ban is to alleviate the hospitals um, and make more beds available for COVID patients. What about the smoking though? Do you know the rationale? So the reason for the smoking, and it's quite gross, is that um, people, and especially in your more lower income communities, won't each have their own cigarette. They will light oh one. Oh my god! Pass it around. The room. <gasps> oh my gosh! Wow. So that's that was the the reasoning for it. Yeah, I mean it's quite different here. I mean Dan Murphy's, who is our like staple like liquor supply chain. Um, whenever there's a lockdown, they sort of send the, send this like email just to say, guys, we're an essential. You know, <laughs> we're an essential shop. It's okay. We're still going to be open because. Because um, Australians are always desperate for toilet paper and alcohol, you know, to survive this. I don't know how our mental health would have gone if they started, um, you know, banning cigarettes and alcohol. So alcohol, people became quite innovative and started brewing their own, whatever it is that they were brewing. And my brother was one of them, had quite a, quite a moonshine operation going in his garage. <laughs> Um, apple beer, pineapple beer. He tried grapes. The wine wasn't great, but I must say the beers that he brewed were, they were all right, considering there was nothing else available. Yeah. You take what you can get. Yes. <laughs> and then if we look at, um, you know, the statistics, you know, the total deaths and, and where I live in Queensland, we've had seven deaths and and that is very different to the rest of the world and and certainly where you you live what can you remind me have you got the stats up there of yesterday there were 198 deaths mm. is that for south africa or just for cape town for south africa yeah and then the total amount of positive cases that tested yesterday were 4,200. Um, we find that usually after a weekend, they're quiet. Nobody tends to go and test or they don't record or report them over a weekend. So uh, when we hit our peak or our third wave a couple of weeks ago, we were hitting at about 26,000 positive cases a day. And at that stage, deaths were anything from like 5,000 to 15,000 deaths a day. And so did you go in another lockdown for this third wave? So we did We did go into a lockdown. Um, the economy wasn't shut down completely, but the there was definitely a liquor ban. I don't think they will ban cigarettes again. But yes, we go into a lockdown and then obviously you can't purchase liquor at any point. Um, our lockdown, I think we're in an adjusted level three lockdown at the moment. So we can buy from a Monday to a Friday. And so, so and yes. that, has that worked then? Has that it's obviously subsided down? You've got 4,000 odd cases, you know, yesterday or today, you know. And is there a plan for, you know, for your country to stop the lockdowns depending on the vaccine rates going up? Do you, like, do you know how, how your vaccine uptake's going? So we can talk about the vaccines just now because I think that is a topic worldwide where mm -hmm. very different and very opposite schools of thought. Mm. But, I mean, ideally, yes, we want to open up the economy properly again and let everybody move around. At the moment, um, there are limits and restrictions on the amount of people that can attend a church, the mm. amount of people 
attend a funeral, um, you know, how busy your office may be. I think I'm not 100% sure, but I think they're sort of sitting at a two-thirds capacity. So they they take turns as to who works from home every day. You know, when you're walking into events like, say, for instance, a farmer's market or a mall, somebody is sitting with a clicker to count how many people have gone in. Because when they reach a certain capacity, they have to stop letting people in until the next one goes out. Do you have like a QR code contact tracing that you have to kind of like sign into every single place you go on your phone? We do. Yeah, we do as well. Uh, not not with our phone. So in Africa, we, we, we're one behind that. We have to write our names down on a piece of paper with contact numbers and ID. Even if you and- walk through a mall? Not, not a mall. It's it's primarily in restaurants, you know, when you're going to sit down and spend amount of time there and mm. use pencils, I suppose. Um, let's move on to your personal experience with COVID-19. How long ago was it that you contracted it? So I tested positive on the 26th of July. I think that's what, about six weeks ago now? Mm. Um And ironically, I'd been for my vaccine five days before. And of course, I've got a lot of anti-vaxxers that have been telling me that's why I tested positive. And Mm. the two are related. It was just unfortunate that my building that I work in, and there was a COVID breakout, quite an insane one. Um, A third of my my floor tested positive, two thirds of the floor above me tested positive, and everybody tested positive within days Mm. of each other, sort of a day before, a day after me, but everybody tested positive. So there definitely was a sort of a cluster breakout that happened here. I'm not sure who patient zero was. Mm. I can identify who would have contracted it having been in contact with me, but from who I contracted it from, it's very difficult to say. Mm. I affected my partner infected my brother. My brother, in turn, being a young millennial, went and infected a whole lot of other people. Wow. <laughs> from socializing. And yeah, I, I can't say who the patient zero was. It, it really could be anybody. And how did you know that you got COVID? Did you sort of start to feel unwell and think straight away you went, got tested, or did you sort of think it was just a cold? I woke up on the Monday morning, the 26th that I tested. I woke up and I was not feeling great I was headachy I'd been uncomfortable that night like I felt my body was sore and I woke up with a headache and a fever and I just thought sure this is bad PMS <laughs> took painkillers and I thought well I'm not going to go into work early I haven't got anything urgent let me just sleep off the headache and then I'll head in and I slept until about 11 o'clock that morning which is very unlike me and Louis said to me well why don't you just stay at home for the day and I was still very insistent no I have to go to work because it's Monday otherwise my whole week is going to be out of whack and just after lunch a friend of mine that works with me here in the building phoned me to say she's really sorry she saw me on Thursday and she's just tested positive for COVID 
Mm. symptoms at the time so she doesn't think she would have infected me at that stage but I'm one of her contacts she's letting me know and then I knew that that had explained the headache that wouldn't pass the fever the body aches the you know the fatigue and so I went immediately and I, I had a rapid antigen test done and yeah they phoned me 15 minutes later and they said I was positive Louis had tested negative at the time it was really just a matter of time for him to have tested positive as well I mean we were so close to each other all the time and I got banished to the room and that's where I stayed until until he contracted it he didn't want me moving around the house but yeah the symptoms are not great I know some people have them a little bit lighter than others but my experience was severe headaches which no painkiller will break had a fever and then the body aches I can't explain the body aches to you they didn't last for the whole day it would sort of come in waves Mm. but like every muscle in your body is burning it's aching no amount of hot water or a warm bed will help it no amount of stretching it's it's really insane and you you sort of start feeling very despondent you feel quite tearful Mm. because you don't have to deal with it Mm. and then Day three, I lost my taste and smell, which was very strange, but also quite a bit of fun because I tasted, you know, blindfold me and put things in front of me to. You could be eating dog food. You wouldn't have known. You'd have to trust Louis that he did the right thing. Probably cat food. Um, I wouldn't have known because I could not smell it. I could not taste it. It was really very, very bizarre. I'm only now starting to get hints of my taste and smell back, which again, you know, sometimes it's a blessing. Sometimes it's not. Depending on who's cooking. Depending on who's cooking, depending on who's who's doing what, where they've been. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so only six weeks later and you're still um struggling to to have well, what about the wine? Test. That means you can have cheap wine then and not I even can. know the I did difference. Try, I did try the cheap wine. No, you'll know the next day if it was cheap. <laughs> the headache. Not because of the yeah, the headache. That, <laughs> That's that always true. Headache. That doesn't that doesn't change because <laughs> oh my god okay yeah so um I think my my bad COVID experience really started when Louis started getting sick um because he's diabetic so from the Monday Louis started showing symptoms on the Wednesday evening and he wasn't sleeping while he was uncomfortable and restless at night and I just thought well this is it Although, you know, once I tested positive, we took all the precautions. I was mm. banished house and not allowed to move around. And he was walking around in almost a hazmat suit and just spraying sanitizer everywhere. Was it Delta? Definitely, yeah. We're yeah, told, so. We were yeah. told it was Delta, yeah. Yeah. Um, which they say the Delta variant isn't so bad. It's mm. just various flu. Um, so he started out with a, a fever and a cough. And by Friday, he'd had a really bad Thursday night. And Friday, he said he's going to go and test. He doesn't think it's COVID. He thought it was a post-nasal drip, but I knew. And um, he came back having tested positive and very grumpy, which is probably understandable. And yeah, I went and got straight into bed. And, you know, that's where he stayed. Um, his fever was bad and he was coughing uncontrollably and the Saturday afternoon he told me that his blood glucose levels were sitting at 14 which is quite high um he's got his diabetes under control quite well he usually averages at you know between six and seven or eight so 14 was quite high and quite dangerous and I said to him well have you been taking the medication and he said to me I think so (laughs) 
Sunday, he was in bed the whole day and he'd been coughing. You could actually see like he was feeling really unwell. He was looking unwell from the coughing. And on Sunday afternoon, he told me he tested and his sugar was 19.9. It's close to a comatose state. And that is where I started panicking because I do not know how to manage that. And I'd also checked that afternoon, I'd checked his um, his oxygen sats with an oximeter. And they were dipping between 84 and 78, which they tell me that's quite dangerous. You should ideally be sitting anything from 96 up. And um, I spoke to a doctor that evening, um, one of his friends that's a doctor, and she said, to me no for a diabetic if the sats are below 92 you've got to get him to a hospital as soon as possible got him into the car and i phoned and i said well you've got to help me out of don't even know how to start i mean do you just walk in my experience with hospitals are you usually referred by a doctor mm. and said, no you just drive and but she'll phone around she's a doctor she knows all the hospitals she'll phone around to find out whether they're beds because we were in a wave we were in our peak so all the COVID wards were full and we ended up at a hospital on the other side of the city and they took him in there I had to sit and wait in the car they wouldn't let me in and that was about six o'clock the evening and at 2 a.m the doctor came out and told me that they'd run all the tests on him that they could and they think possibly the low oxygen levels are because of sleep apnea. And I just thought, I know this man hasn't got sleep apnea. I've mm. been sleeping in the same bed for how long now? It's definitely not sleep apnea, but okay, I'll, I'll humor him. And they prescribed him some penicillin for the post-nasal drip. And the doctor also said to me that there's a bit of man flu involved there. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but it, that calmed me down a little bit because I thought, okay, well, if he's got the same symptoms that I am, I'm having, then he's okay. And they said, you've just got to monitor the sugar and watch it, make sure the medication is taken at the same time every day and monitor it and, you know, come back to us if it's a problem. Louis told me last week when they got into the hospital, they were running around with different oximeters because they couldn't believe that his stats were so low. And they kept on testing his fingers with a different oximeter and each time they'd say breathe deeper breathe deeper until they got the result that they wanted so mm. term with sleep apnea and man flu they also said to me don't stress too much about your oximeter because it's under reading and i got the penicillin from him the next morning from the chemist and yeah we carried on from there it didn't improve so that was monday tuesday was no improvement wednesday there was no improvement Although he told me that he was feeling better, I could see, you know, I was mm. I was nursing him at that stage. I could see that there wasn't a difference, definitely not an improvement. Actually, it, it, he was going backwards. And so the Wednesday night, I panicked again because he was he was starting to get a little bit delirious. So I phoned, there's a nurse that lives in the complex with us. And I phoned her up and I said, listen, you know, we were in hospital on Sunday night. He doesn't really want to go back, but this is where we are now. This is where his sats are. The sugar is under control, but, you know, I can't get his temperature under control. What should I do? And literally her response to me was, I haven't a clue really, but I found when I struggle to breathe, I put an onion on my chest. Oh my God. I, so I decided, well, 
Yeah, can you believe it? I just thought, well, I'm not going to have any joy with her. Let me move on. So I phoned his friend who's a doctor again. And I mean, she was a bit more helpful. And she said, well, I'm going to get him onto the nebulizer, get him onto some painkillers and just, you know, steam him and get on. So, you know, we went through that. His body was incredibly sore at the time as well because he'd been coughing so much. Like he actually was hurting his ribs. uh, were, Were contracting so badly. So I got him through Wednesday night, but I was starting to worry quite a lot at this stage because he had just progressively gotten quieter and you know the cough had gotten worse and um like I say when he started getting delirious I I was very worried you know he got into the shower the one night and he was burning he'd only had the hot water on and he didn't think to turn the cold water and he sat there like that for a while and when he finally got out he said to me I think I've cooked my brain (laughs) Well, that was my reaction as well. But he was dead serious. Yeah. I mean, he was really, really worried. And he said to me, I don't know how I'm going to work because I've cooked my brain. And this came up a couple of times for the next few days. So Thursday was a little bit easier. He managed to get some sleep and he was a little bit quieter. But he said to me the Thursday night that his lungs feel crinkly. Heard there was a wheeze on his chest. And I just thought this is pneumonia. We actually can't mess about with this anymore. I've got to get him to the doctor. So obviously with him having tested positive for COVID, the doctors don't really want him to come into the surgery. So I mailed the doctor and they said, well, they'll do a telephonic consult with him. And I mailed the doctor. I was in court that day. That was my first day that I could be let out in public again and I was in court that morning and I had to mail the doctor and I said to him this is what we've been through the last week this is what I've seen this is what he's going to tell you but phone him by all means and see how far you come and 10 minutes later he said he can't even talk Mm. on the phone have to bring him in and they shut down they were actually quite good they shut down the entire surgery got all the patients up and we went in there and um, that was 10 minutes he listened to his lungs and took his blood pressure and said straight to hospital please don't even stop at home for pajamas go straight straight to hospital yeah from there I felt a little bit relieved um upset but a lot more relieved because you know this medical attention or the medical care wasn't on my shoulders anymore and yeah they said to him there he contracted COVID pneumonia um which on the scale they say is severe COVID. And he went into the ward there with nothing, just literally his cell phone. Um, And I was quite worried that he was going to stay for a good two to three weeks. That's how sick he was already. He was wheeled in with a wheelchair and they took him in there. And I must say they were great. They put him onto a course of steroids immediately. But because he's diabetic, the two act up against each other. So the steroids caused the blood glucose to go you know to skyrocket and I think he said to me in hospital he tested around about 16 oh my god yeah which is quite high but they were managing it and they were able to control it which was Mm. my you know that that was a great relief to me because I I'm not a medical practitioner I'm not a doctor I'm not a nurse so Mm. he he was in for five days only Mm. He recovered quickly. He did. He's very lucky. I mean, the, the road to recovery is not quick. It's it's not like a cold or a flu that you have once they give you an antibiotics. You're, you know, you're fine after a couple of days. I, I have found, you know, the post-COVID symptoms have been quite challenging for me. Who's mm. coming into work every day and working a full day. Like I'm, I sort of have a routine. I'm, I'm hit with a sinus headache at 10 o'clock every day without fail. It sits there. Still. And still. 
still Mm. and you know if I don't treat it then I still have it at six o'clock that night and the fatigue has been insane I can't explain it to you um your whole body aches because it's so tired and during the whole day or is it at night so I find at the moment I'm struggling to get up in the mornings which is very unlike me I'm usually up at five and I get ready and I'm in my office by six seven in the morning I'm finding getting up in the mornings is very difficult like I'm just exhausted and once I do get going I come into the office I've been drinking a lot more coffee Mm. than normal and you know once you get going lunchtime I'm all right but then by two three o'clock in the afternoon you know this exhaustion just hits you again the first I want to say the first 10 days were very difficult for me because a simple task that should take me an hour to do was taking me four or five days that I was just not able to finish it or think or critically evaluate in any way that has definitely passed I don't think I'm quite up to speed where I would like to be or where I was previously, but there's definitely been a vast improvement. And and what about Louis coming from, you know, having a much more serious experience with COVID? How is his recovery going at the moment? So his recovery is good. We we try to exercise because, I mean, that's another thing. You think you're going to get back into a fit exercise program your muscles are like spaghetti Mm. and we went for a walk I think we were about five six days after he came out of hospital and both of us were finished after that but yes he's his recovery will be a little bit longer than mine and what have you learned from the experience of getting COVID definitely real so to all the anti-vaxxers and everybody that's out there Mm. saying you know it's just like a flu or it's just a you know a light head cold that you get it's it's not it's real it's not something that you can avoid by being ignorant about about the disease or about the virus and it's not a fantasy that you're hearing about or rumors that you're hearing from other people it it is quite close to home. Well, thank you because you've shared your personal experience and that's something that Australians don't often get to hear. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today and and hope that the long COVID uh, shortens (laughs) for you and and you can uh, get back to... You know, those hikes and, and those wine wine tastings that you love. Yeah, no, no cheap wine tasting. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the silver lining, yeah. <laughs> All right, my lovely. We'll chat soon. Thank you so Thank much. You. Yeah, Thank you so much for, for listening to me and hearing me out. Thanks again so much for tuning in to this episode. I found this particularly fascinating given the lack of information and personal experiences we hear in Australia about contracting COVID-19. I hope you did too. Bye for now.